This is The Podcast Method, a show where I try and answer your questions about podcasting, recording, audio and video equipment, software, mic technique, pre- and post-production, workflows, and more. I am Dan Benjamin. I'm the founder of 5x5.tv, which is uh, an ancient podcast network now. A lot of people have been asking me, are podcast networks still a thing? Does it really make sense for people to join a podcast network? And this is a question that I've been asked a lot, not just uh, recently, but since the very beginning when I started 5 by 5 Now, the big shows, the really big shows in the world, uh, frequently just independent shows. Just somebody came up with an idea and started it. And I've talked a lot on this show in the past about how media figures have kind of stepped in and taken over the space. And people who have made this sort of mass exodus from uh, NPR and PRI and places like that have come into podcasting. And it, it makes sense because podcasting, I think, is the best entertainment aspect of the entertainment going right now. I mean, look at what's going on uh, with with uh, TV. Everybody wants to watch on demand. They want to watch what they want. They've cut their cable and they, they want to watch on Netflix and HBO Now. I was just reading an article about how Netflix has completely changed the way that people think about TV. Why my kids have grown up in a world where the shows that they want to watch have all been streamed, really. And they come and watch a show when they want to watch or when we say they're allowed to watch the show. Uh, but that's that's how things are today. There, we I remember waking up early in the morning uh, to try and catch that episode of Ultraman or Speed Racer or whatever it was that I wanted to watch. It was only on TV at that one time. And if you missed it, you missed it and you missed it forever, maybe. Now you can watch whatever you want, whenever you want. And podcasting is the same way. I've tried so many different experiments over the years to do live shows or daily shows and try and build a really cool, big live audience. And in the early days of podcasting so long ago, uh, that was much more possible than it is now, I think, because now, gosh, podcast listeners have become so smart. They've got so many really, really great apps that let them time shift everything. Uh, people want to listen to stuff when when they choose. And that's what makes podcasting great as a medium. You can listen to the stuff that you want to listen to when you want to listen to it. I've talked about that before. I think I'll talk about it uh, again down the road because we're seeing this industry change a lot. You know, I had to take my car in to get its oil change and uh, there was some kind of a recall on it and they gave me a loaner car and even the loaner car that they were nice enough to give me so I wouldn't have to get rides for two days. It, it had Bluetooth and I synced it right up to my phone. I was listening to a podcast while I'm driving. I mean, we're, we've crossed that barrier, that threshold of how do I listen to a podcast is gone. The brand new version of Apple TV uh, that just came out with an update, it has the podcast app back in it again. So now effectively all Apple TVs, old and new, have the podcast app again. And it, it works okay. It's not great, but it works all right. And there are a lot of people who will want to listen to your show on their television. They want to get home from work or whatever, and they're going to be cooking or doing dishes. Sure, they might play it on their, uh, you know, on their iPhone with headphones on. 
they might want to listen to it with their family members or their friends. So a lot of the time, yeah, they'll they'll play it on an app. I don't think, I will say this about apps in general, I don't think it's important to have a podcast app of your own for iOS or Android. I don't think it's important to have uh, one for the Apple TV or the Roku or whatever. And I'll tell you why. It's There are so many great apps already out there. You're not just going to be competing with uh, with the, those apps, you're competing with the whole mentality that people have of I want to listen when I want to listen and how I want to listen. If your favorite app is Castro or Overcast or the podcast app from Apple or, uh, you know, Pocket Cast, whatever it is, whatever your favorite one is, that's your favorite for a reason. The people who are listening to your show are going to have their favorites. And if you try and force them or shoehorn them into an experience that you think is better, well, I, I think you're asking for trouble. I think the best thing about podcasting is that there is no big control over it. There isn't someone saying, you have to go here to listen to the shows. You have to listen to them in this way. Let them be free. Now, I totally believe in uh, subscript, subscription content, in paid content, in a way to give extra additional content to people who support you through Patreon or something else, or even entire podcasts that are completely listener supported and only available to people who support them. Totally believe in that. There are some technical hurdles around that. Uh, it's, it's not currently that easy to provide that kind of content. And as of right now, there aren't, isn't a whole lot of support for it in podcast apps out there. That's one of the things that we're working on with our uh, hosting platform, the analytics platform, which I finally named. I think I announced it on this show. I've announced it on Twitter. We're calling it Fireside, like a fireside chat, because that's what podcasts are all about, right? You're, you're talking with, uh, with your audience, your friends. I love that. I love that notion of the fireside conversation. So we're calling it Fireside. Uh, we have fireside.io if you want to go and check that out. But we're trying to solve that problem and, 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 and help people come up with a way to provide content that's just for people who are supporting them. So it remains to be seen what can be done in that space. But for now, that's not, there's not really a great option to do it. But don't, don't force people to use an app to get your content, uh, the app that you think is, is cool. And speaking of apps, speaking of apps, I want to tell you about a really cool app that you probably have heard about you may not have heard about. If you haven't heard about it, go check it out right now because it's really awesome. Rogue Amoeba is the name of the company that makes these apps. They've come out with an app called Loopback. Loopback. Now, you probably, if you know Rogue Amoeba, you know them from Audio Hijack. Audio Hijack is, uh, gosh, it's the podcasters, uh, or at least the podcaster on a budget, but forget that. I mean, the podcaster's best friend. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful application that lets you record. Of course, it's for Mac. Record any audio and you can save audio from applications like iTunes. Right. You can play save it from Safari. You can also save it from any kinds of hardware devices, whether they're microphones or mixers. You can record audio from Skype out of it. I mean, pretty much anything that you ever could want to do, recording apps, recording devices like everything and you can you could really really use this to to save uh your whole workflow and simplify everything you can have multiple people you can 
merge them into one. You can use it for streaming if you stream live. I mean, it's, it's like the toolbox that you've always wanted. That'll be in the show notes. But they just came out with a new application. And here's how they describe it. It's called Loopback. They call it cable-free audio routing for Mac. And here's their description. They say, suddenly, it's easy to pass audio between applications on your Mac. Create virtual audio devices to take the sound from applications and audio input devices, then send it to audio processing applications. So it's like you have kind of like a mixing board, but it's software, right? So you can you can do something cool. Like, let's say you've got a soundboard or you want to play... Uh, some an audio snippet or something like that, and you want all of the guests to hear it. Well, you can like combine your microphone with an audio source like iTunes or the QuickTime Player or something else, and you can send that as the output that goes through Skype to all the other people that you're talking to. Like, really cool. You can use it for screencasting, like screen recorders and QuickTime Player and all of this stuff grabs not just the microphone, but the audio of the application that you're recording. You can do like people are into like recording themselves playing video games, I guess. That's a thing. You can do that with this. I mean, you can combine hardware devices. So like, for example, like GarageBand is only going to record from a single audio device at one time. I think Logic's limited that way too. Well, now you can use Loopback and combine multiple different devices into a virtual device. I mean, there's so much that you can do. It's even got routing a signal chain stuff. You can send things to NiceCast for streaming. It's really, really cool. There's a free download if you want to try it out. Now, it's not it's not cheap. It's 75 bucks. It's not cheap, but you know what? It's a power tool. This is the kind of thing that regardless of what level podcaster you are, you're going to want to uh, want to try this out. I love Rogue Amoeba. I love the stuff they make. And, and by the way, uh, if you guys are listening, Rogue Amoeba, shame on you for not sponsoring this show because uh, you're getting, why should they? They get free advertising on it. But seriously, go check out this app. They've got tons of really, really cool apps out there. NiceCast, that's what we use to stream to our IceCast server when we are doing our live shows. They make that. So go check them out. Really, really cool stuff over there. Speaking of cool stuff, we've got two cool sponsors to tell you about today. The first of which, Squarespace. Now, I've told you before how easy it is to create a website on Squarespace. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have had a career in building publishing tools and CMSs and websites for people. I was like the tech geek guy. That's what I did. People would hire me and they'd say, we're building a website. It's going to look really awesome. But like, how is it going to work? How are people going to put information into it and upload their files and add images and do posts? And what's a database? And so I would do all of that stuff. Squarespace, you don't, you don't need that kind of developer anymore. You don't really even need designers unless you're getting really super high-end custom. You can pretty much do whatever you need with Squarespace. It's the easiest way to make a beautiful website or blog or online store. E-commerce, they've got e-commerce. They've even got a thing if you're shipping physical stuff, if you're shipping stuff. They have the shipment calculator. It'll tell you how much the stuff way you tell you put in what it is how much it weighs it'll tell you how much it's going to cost to send it you can send it with like usps or ups or fedex like all of this stuff is built in if you're a podcast you can host your podcast on it if you're a musician you can upload uh your band's album to it if you're a restaurant you they have a way to put a menu up there you type in the address boom a little map widget shows up like it's all done 
You don't need to know HTML or CSS or anything. It's amazing. And you should go check it out. Squarespace.com slash podcast method. Just going to that URL will support this show. It will make it so that I can do more episodes of the show because Squarespace will come to me and they'll say, whatever you're doing on podcast method, keep doing it. We want more episodes of that show. Your listeners are really engaged. And you can be one of those engaged listeners by going to squarespace.com slash podcast method. While you're there, use the code podcast method and you get 10% off your purchase. So thank you very much to them and thanks to you for going to check them out. Squarespace. So that I told you about the new app. I really do want you to go and check that out. A lot of the questions that I get, and you can always tweet me. I'm on Twitter at Dan Benjamin. Use the hashtag podcast method so I'll see it for this show. But I really think you owe it to yourself to go and try some of these apps out. There are really, today, there are really inexpensive ways. The, the, the system that we have here with lots of different Skype machines going into a digital mixer, I mean, that's still, in my opinion, the best way to record a show with lots of people on it. But it's no, by no means the least expensive way to do it. And I've talked about it before. I won't go into too much detail about it now. But basically what we have is we have a mixer. And then we have each guest that we have on a different show, on, on a show, whether it's one guest or four guests. Each one is a separate computer. In our case, it's old, ancient Mac minis. But anything will work. Anything that can run Skype will work. And their audio inputs and outputs plug into the mixer. And we record each person on a different track with a multi-track recorder. In our case, it's Logic, Logic Pro, which runs on just a Mac Mini. And that's how we record it. And that way we can go in and we can record each person's track and edit their track individually. We can add whatever kinds of, uh, whatever kinds of post editing effects we need. For example, compression. We can EQ each track individually. But more and more, we, we find we will still fall back on the double ender where each individual guest records their own audio. And that's not a bad thing. It's certainly more labor intensive. It's certainly a lot more labor intensive when it comes to editing and syncing everything up. But it's not the end of the world. It's not terrible. There are some applications out there that try to make this easier. Uh, one of them that's still, I would say, relatively new on the scene is called Cast. It's at tryka.st, so T-R-Y-C-A dot S-T. And again, that'll be in the show notes. And what this thing lets you do is uh, you create an account and then you and other people use it and you hit record these guests that you have hit record and it sort of syncs up all the audio, records all the audio and sends it back down to you. And they're doing a little bit of publishing and uh, hosting and analytics as well. You don't have to download anything. It all happens in a browser. It's 10 bucks a month or 30 bucks a month for pro, which gives you a hundred hours of recording time. And they've even got a little bit of editing stuff now that you can do. You can edit in the website too. Kind of interesting. We're definitely, as a community of podcasters, working hard to try and find solutions for these problems. I mean, the ideal scenario, right? Wouldn't it be all of the people that you're going to have on your show sit down, you hit a button, and you're all just talking to each other and recording. It all just happens behind the scenes. 
I always like to take the burden of recording off the host as much as possible. Sometimes you just, their audio quality over Skype or whatever you're using to connect, it's usually Skype, just isn't good enough and they, they have to record their own end. No big deal. Just roll with it. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. You just have to go with it. So, speaking of going with it, we have some really great questions that came in this week. Matthew, actually not this week, over the last month, Matthew Shanley, who is A-R-K-A-D-Y-A-N, Arcadian on Twitter, says, interviewing someone off-site, you have them hold a mic, no stand? Tips for getting them to hold it close enough. Great question. This is not just a good question for uh, interviewing someone off-site. This is great for anyone who's doing podcasting. People are absolutely terrified to get close to their microphones. It is something I see over and over and over again. Anytime I have someone in the studio here physically, I see it. Anytime that, uh, that, that I see pictures of people, they're either way too close to their microphones or way too far away from their microphones. A dead giveaway to hear if somebody's too close to their microphone, especially if it's not like a, a high, higher end microphone, is they're going to sound really boomy and bassy. And to be honest, I'm not even sure I can do it with this particular microphone in the setup because I've, I've got that rolled off. But if you ever hear people, I'm right up on the mic right now. If you ever hear people just really boomy, maybe I can even get more with my hand, really boomy like that. You don't want to sound like that. It sounds cool. Like it does sound cool. Like if you've ever heard your voice with tons of bass in it and like you're James Earl Jones all of a sudden, it's awesome. You don't really want that. And people who are listening in it in their car, they're not going to be, they're going to have to change their base and everything. You don't want to make people mess with their controls of their car. Come on, they're driving. Well, don't get too close to the microphone. But I'm going to tell you probably, because I'm looking at you right now, where, yes, you, right? How, how you're sitting in front of your microphone. I can see that. You're not close enough. You are, but you over there, you're not. You want to be about, about two inches away from it. And so it's, it's inevitable. Every time that somebody sits down in our, in our uh, studio here, which is just an office, it sounds very fancy, it's not. We'll put the microphone up to them and immediately they do this thing where they pull their head back from it. Like, uh, like someone just uh, put a big Subway sub in front of their sandwich and they're like, oh, I had onions. And they move away from it. That's the reaction that people have because they're, they don't, they're not used to having something right up in their face like that. And, uh, and, and they've got to get used to, you've got to overcome that. And even you yourself, here's what, here's what I want you to do. Address your microphone as if you're going to record your podcast and start talking and hold your smartphone over to the side and snap a picture of yourself. Do a selfie sideways so that you can see how far away you are from your microphone. Two inches is all you need to be away from it. No more, no less. I really think you should do that. And the reason that you should do that is you need to see how far away you actually are. It's tough to tell. This is where something like a pop filter is going to come in and, and be important. People who are pros, people who podcast all the time, or even better people who are on the radio a lot or who do broadcasting for a living, they understand the importance of a pop filter, but they can also get away without using one or, or they know how to use one. I'm not using one right now. Uh, on this Telefunken M82. But that's because I've practiced 
for a very, very, very long time. And I know how to make it so I don't really need to use one. You will get there too if you practice enough. That doesn't mean you shouldn't use one. In many cases, you should use one and pros still use one. And there's good reason to use one. It just makes your life a little bit easier. It's one less thing to worry about. But a pop filter is also going to be a good guide for how far away you should be. If you move that pop filter about two inches or an inch to two inches away from the microphone, then you want to be right up on that pop filter. The whole point of the microphone is to pick up your voice. Don't challenge the microphone. Don't sit back over here. You're going to sound like a whole different person. You can still hear me, but you're going to sound like a whole different person when you're far away from the microphone. Don't make people struggle to hear you. And by the way, for those of you who don't have a really good preamp with built-in compression like the DBX286S that I I love because of its price point and quality of the audio, if you don't have something like that in between you, uh, I'm between the microphone and whatever you're using to record the audio interface, boy, it's going to sound completely different. It's not going to pick you up if you go off mic a little bit or if you get a little bit too loud. So, Matthew, I hope that answers your question. How? What's the trick to get him to hold it close enough? Just tell him, get really, really close to the microphone. Don't tell them not to be afraid if they bump into the microphone. Like, you want them almost that close. Steve Martin. The Steve Martin. Wow, he listens. To, oh, wait, no, it's a different Steve Martin. Steve Martin UX asks, for one track recording, better to use a mixer plus Mac line in, or get a USB interface. So uh, what Steve Martin is asking is if he's just recording one track, just him or just a person, should he go and get a mixer and plug this thing into the Mac's line in or get a USB interface? I actually don't like the kinds of mixers that... You, you then need to take their output and plug them into a line in and record through a line in. The kinds of mixers that I like are the kinds that are either USB or nowadays Thunderbolt, a.k.a. you know in the old days of Firewire. So a lot of the time, if you see something sold as a Thunderbolt mixer, a lot of the time that's Firewire with a Thunderbolt adapter that you have to get to plug it into your Thunderbolt-equipped Mac. That's fine. Usually Firewire, a.k.a. Thunderbolt, Mixers are going to have more ports on them, which means, I'm sorry, more tracks uh, on them. So you can do like 16-track multi-track recording. Sometimes the USB mixers will have less, some only two. Uh, some will have four. Just keep that in mind. I, I really would recommend in your case, if you want to go and get a mixer, uh, that's a good idea to get one. You can also get, and I, I love, I love the Sapphire Pro line of uh of of mixers if you want but if it's just for i'll put those in the show notes but if you just want one track anything that focus right makes is going to be pretty awesome uh you really can't go wrong their audio interfaces which is what we're really talking about uh like the sapphire uh, 6 usb it's got two inputs it's a usb interface like something like that there's the scarlet series I'll put the link to all of these into the show notes and, uh, and you can review them. The Scarlet Solo, simple. You know, check these things out as options that plug right into a USB port. You just plug your microphone into that and, and you go. 
So I, I don't know, Steve, if that totally answers your question, but I would avoid a line in, a Mac line in. I would avoid that thing like the, like the plague. Do not, do not plug anything into a Mac line in that you want to record. Those line ins just, they stink. They're the worst. Clueless, C-L-E-W underscore less on Twitter, asked a whole bunch of questions this time. We'll get to a few of them. Uh, his older question is, he says, the best of 2015, this came out uh, in December of 2015 on iTunes. iTunes comes out each year with a best of list of their podcasts. He says, the best of 2015 list seems to reward professional scriptwriters, productions, uh, studios, and stuff like that. What can independent people do? Well, there's a reason why uh, those are listed frequently as the best, and that is uh, the, the audio quality on them is usually top-notch. The writing on them is usually top-notch. Why? Because the people creating them are doing it full-time, and they're, they're, they know because of their many years of experience working in broadcasting and public radio especially, they know what's appealing to listeners. They know that a podcast about Star Trek which is a wonderful topic that lots of people, including me, enjoy listening to people talk about and talking about, that that is not going to score as well and be as much of a crowd pleaser with the general population. My mom listens to podcasts, you know? She's like a retired English professor. She's incredibly interested in so many different things. And she's like listening to, she listens to more podcasts than me. She listens to this podcast. Hi, mom. You know, she's out there listening to tons and tons of shows. She liked Star Trek. We used to watch Star Trek together when I was a kid. But I just don't, I can't see her going and downloading the Star Trek podcast and listening to that. There's nothing wrong with your Star Trek podcast. It doesn't mean don't do a Star Trek podcast. Certainly do a Star Trek podcast. But just understand that even if your production quality is top notch, it's not going to have the same kind of appeal as the podcasts that are coming from these production, full-on professional production studios with people whose full-time jobs are just to make professional stuff. They work full-time to make the shows that you're listening to. Serial, that's someone's full, more than one person's full-time thing. They're not doing that at 8 p.m. after the kids are put to sleep on a Tuesday night. No way. You expect to compete with somebody who is a broadcast journalist with a great voice in a high-end production studio and the know-how and the years of experience and the support people around them and their full time devoted to doing that. You're going to compete with that on Thursday night, editing it in GarageBand at 1 a.m.? No. But that's okay. You don't have to compete with that. You certainly don't have to be in iTunes best of 2015 to have an amazing time podcasting and to build an amazing audience of engaged listeners who really do care about Star Trek as much as you and who really do want to hear you and your co-hosts talk about it. That should not be your goal, Clueless. That is not the goal. What can indies do to get on there? I don't know. Laura's on there. He's an indie. He is full time with it. So it's possible, but it's probably not going to be possible, you know, with your $150 mic editing in GarageBand at 1 a.m., you know, on Thursday night. But that's okay. It doesn't have to be. 
My second sponsor is Linode. What's Linode? It's like the best hosting company out there, basically. They have these things called VPSs, virtual private servers. What does that mean? That means if you're like a developer or a designer or uh, any kind of programmer or you just want a place to upload files to or you want a virtual machine out there on the internet, you can do whatever you want. You want to host your own GitHub server. You want to have a place to FTP stuff. You want to, uh, you're a Rails developer, a Python developer, PHP developer, whatever you want to do. You want that playground. You want that place to store stuff. You want that place to connect to. That's all yours that you have full control over, your own hosting environment. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Full root access. Hourly billing with a monthly cap. Backups built in, node balancers, long view, all of this stuff ready to go. Get a server running in under a minute. And it starts at like 10 bucks a month. They've got eight data centers. They know what they're doing. Best help and desk support you're going to find anywhere in this industry. I love Linode. I've been a Linode customer since the very, very, very beginning. Hosting tons of stuff there. You can even host your own mail server there. You can do whatever you want. It's your machine. It's your server. They made a special URL, Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E, Linode.com slash podcast method. Linode.com slash podcast method. When you're there, podcast method 20, 2-0, podcast method 20, you'll get a $20 credit. That's like two months free. There's no downside to this. So go check out Linode, Linode.com slash podcast method. I've had lots of questions like the following. How are things coming on the podcast hosting solution of total awesomeness you keep teasing? Lots of questions like that. What's going on with your thing? I am super excited. You know, anytime I talk about it, anytime I talk about it, I I inevitably get emails from people who say, wow, nice to turn your show into a gigantic ad, dude. Nice to sell out. I don't want to do that. And so I've been a little hesitant to talk about it too much. But I know that there are people who are waiting for it. I probably spend about five hours, four to five hours a day working on it uh, with with people helping me. We are pretty much done. It's done. It's deployed into its production environment. Everything is set up and I'm just sort of putting the polish on it right now, just making things look really, really nice so that when people log in, they see something that looks amazing and is super easy to use. So I'm just going through it uh, as as in different use scenarios, saying I'm this kind of user, this is the kind of show I'm doing. How what's it like to use the system? But it is it is essentially done, and uh, within the next week or so, we will be opening up that uh, first group of beta testers, so you can get in there and do it. And if you'd like to be in there, you can go to Fireside.io and just put your email in that little form in order to be a part of it. And I would love for you to be a part of it. And hopefully it will do everything that you've ever wanted it, uh, a system to do. But, you know, it, it's it's interesting to talk about this a little bit more because a lot of the problems that I'm trying to solve with this software that, that we've been working so hard on are the problems that we face as podcasters. You know, obviously you're going to want analytics and tracking so that you can understand your show. You can understand how many people are downloading it and when and where they're coming from and what software they're using to download it, what apps they're using to download it. Uh, you know, you need that. You need really, really fast, like file hosting and CDN stuff. Uh, you want to do sponsors or donation integration. Like all of these things are things that 
I'm building in chapter markers so that you can add people on chapter markers. Well, there's this new tool that came out that lets you add chapter markers. Like I think it's called chapters. Uh, If I can find it, I'll put it into the show notes. Uh, But, you know, it's like an app that you can get to put chapters into an MP3 file. Well, that's cool, but why not build that into the CMS? You know, automatically putting your show artwork into the CMS, letting you customize the artwork for every episode, um, creating a really neat looking website for people to subscribe, you know, putting that metadata into the MP3s, like time codes and stuff for sponsorship so that you can send a link to your sponsor and have them jump right to the time code, you know, and the, from the URL, all of this stuff. Of course, it's all, you know, it's all built in. It's just stuff that we wanted to do. And that's, that's part of the reason why it's taken me a long time is because each of these is a feature and each of these needs to work really, really well and be seamless. You know, the idea that people are like you maybe are making a show and then after you're done editing the show, you're adding it to iTunes, putting your cover art by going into the info, dragging it in there, and then finding that file in the finder and dragging it out and then uploading that. Come on. That's your workflow? That's your workflow? Yes. You know why? Because that's the best way to do it, unless you have a CMS that's going to do it for you. So that's the kind of reason why I'm, I'm struggling over this thing to make it great. But it's almost, it's almost there. I mean, it is there. I'm just making it look really good for you. This next tweet is, uh, I think, perhaps more of a comment than a question. Jonathan Messenger, Johnny Mess on Twitter says, fell asleep listening to Podcast Method last night and dreamt I didn't self-monitor, which led to a murder mystery plot. Thanks, he says. It's a, I think that's an appropriate dream. I think you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. That you do not, uh, that you are not self-monitoring. All of you must be self-monitoring. What does that mean? I've talked about it before. It means put on some headphones and either plug the headphones into the audio jack in your microphone or, uh, or into your mixer and listen to yourself while you record. It's the only way you'll know if you're close enough to the mic or not. It's the only way that you will be able to understand your own tone and sound of your voice Go to Google and type in the names of some of your favorite radio hosts. They all are wearing headphones if you're looking at them in the studio. Go watch the Howard Stern show. He's got headphones on. All the people that you like to listen to, they all have headphones on. Why? It's because they need to be able to hear themselves. They're not listening just to hear their producers yelling at them in their ear. They're listening because they need to hear themselves. It's very important. Very important to do that. So do it. Get used to it. Get used to, oh, I don't like the sound of my voice. What are you podcasting for? If you don't like the sound of your voice, why would someone else like it? Well, every, people, other people say it's okay. No, you've got to get used to it. Just get over it. You will be fine. Evan Klondar, the Klondar on Twitter <laughs> asks, how do you limit or avoid taking a sharp breath like a gasp after talking for a long time? This is a really, really good question. I remember when I first started podcasting, very, very early on, first recordings that I was ever making, back maybe in 2006, 2005, 2006, uh, I remember I got an email from somebody 
that crushed me. And they said, the breath noises, you're breathing, it's terrible, I can't listen, the content of the show is good, but oh, I can't listen to it, stop doing that. And I didn't really know what he was talking about until I listened back. All kinds of breathing sounds like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am, what am I going to do? Do I need to learn how to talk differently? What, what do I do? Well, just like anything else, it's something that you need to practice. It's something you need to get good at. It is a technique. And the, the answer to Evan Klondar's question is, you just hide it as best as you can. So there's a few ways to do that. One is, if you have a nice uh, limiter or noise gate, it's not going to pick up sounds that fall beneath a certain decibel range. So again, we're, we're back to our DBX-286. If you get one of those, you can be very, very subtle with those limiter sounds, but then if you're taking a quiet breath, it might not even pick it up at all. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing is you could just kind of look to the side a little bit. See, I'm kind of looking to the side there and breathe in that way and the microphone won't pick it up. And yes, you're going to look dumb kind of moving to the side a little bit once in a while to breathe, but it will keep that noise from <laughs> happening. It's that simple. That's it. The other thing is we're human beings and we breathe. Hearing someone's breath noise, if it's subtle and quiet, it, it's, it's not the end of the world. So don't get on yourself too hard about that. It, it's just a natural part of being a human being. And you probably hear it more than other people. I will admit, when I listened to those recordings of myself early on, it was pretty noticeable and I did make changes. And ever since then, I've tried to be conscious of it. Time for just a couple more. Cole Ross on Twitter says, do you have any tips for naming new shows? I love that question, Cole. Names of shows are so important. They are so important because they determine in such a big way if people are even going to listen to your show at all. They really, really, truly do. If the show has a weird name or a stupid name or a name that's kind of, and I've struggled with that with the show I do called Quit. A lot of people thought it was about smoking cessation, which is cool, but they were disappointed when they tuned in to find out I wasn't talking about smoking cessation. And in a way, there's limits there too, because I don't really talk about quitting stuff. I talk about starting stuff. I talk about leaving a job or a situation that's maybe not some a place you're happy or how to find inspiration to start something new. So maybe I should have called it start, you know, it has more of a positive vibe, but even so it's still a pretty popular show. A lot of people listen to it and seem to enjoy it, which makes me endlessly happy. But I still struggle with that name. So, you know, you, you name a show and it, it does sort of, sort of set expectations. You know, I'm looking right now in a podcast app where I'm looking at uh, some of the sort of top, top shows that are out there right now. There's one show called Lore. I've mentioned it before. That one 
very good show. And the name describes what it is. It describes exactly what's going on there. That Welcome to Night Vale. Wonderful show. Very interesting. But that is a that is a radio drama. That's only about one thing, you know. It's not about lots of different things. It's just about a story about this very interesting town. But it's really, really tough to come up with a name that's going to encompass everything that you might want to cover, that you might want to talk about. Fresh Air from NPR, one of the best names for a show ever, right? This American Life. Serial's pretty spot on. And the name really, really does matter. If the show wasn't called Serial, would it have been as popular as it turned out to be? Who knows? But it sure didn't hurt that it was called Serial. So you've got to think about that. Now, one of the neat things is it's very unlikely that you will run into like copyright trouble and things like that. If someone has a show called the Star Trek podcast and you want to call yours the Star Trek podcast, well, technically you're both probably infringing on Star Trek. So don't call it something like that. But try to name shows in a way that leaves them open-ended enough that you can have some room for the show to grow. But at the same time, have a show that have a name that does reflect what the show is about. My friend Jeffrey Zeldman does a show called The Big Web Show. It is a show about the web. He does interview designers, developers, and people like that on the show. But there's something fun about that name, The Big Web Show. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be too serious, and it's not. He has a great time on the show, and the, the conversations are are important conversations, but they're also informal, they're casual, they're, they're nice. We have a show called Bingeworthy, where we talk about TV shows that are worthy of binge-watching. It's a fun play on words, a fun show. And of course, this one's called Podcast Method. Well, we're not talking specifically about just a method, we're talking about podcasting as a whole. But I think it's a pretty good name, I think it kind of works. So I think trying to come up with a name, because it's very hard to change the name of a show. Jesse Thorne ran into that trouble when he changed his show, which is called The Sound of Young America. He changed it to Bullseye. I love the name Bullseye. He's got a great logo to go along with it. But he told me, and I think he, he wrote about this publicly a lot, why he wanted to change it. He changed it because people thought that it was something for like music for young people or something like that. But if you think about it, like the sound of young America, you're like, Oh, that's like music for tweens or something like that, which it's not, that's not what the show's about at all. But of course he changed it to bullseye and people are still listening. It's a better name. So you can change it. Last question. Alberto Lopez, Alberto S. Lopez on Twitter, longtime uh, Liz. He's like a super fan. You call him a super fan. He says, Dan, can you speak to the perils of community abandonment when you decide to end a podcast? This is a fascinating question. 
because I know that he's gotten really into some of our shows when some of our shows have ended. I mean, we, we end shows all the time. Shows come and go. We just, I just got an email from a host of, of one of the shows that we produce that says, you know what? We're not going to be able to do the show anymore. This person's gotten busy with their job. This other person's got this thing going on in their life. I have this thing going on. We're not going to be able to do the show anymore. And it's sad, but like what happens? You know, if they decide not to renew House of Cards for the next season, although I just saw that they did. But if they decide not to, like, does uh, Netflix owe me something? Because I subscribe to Netflix, do they owe me something? No, they do not. J.J. Abrams says, you know, screw this whole Star Wars thing. I'm not doing it. This is fun, but I I don't want to do any more. I'm sure he'd have some legal things to work out with contracts that he signed, but does he owe me something? No, I don't think so. And the fact of the matter is you, you can say you, you can feel like you owe your listener something. And I, I definitely think that listeners are investing a certain amount of goodwill into you, into your show, into the things that you're creating there. They're investing their time. They're caring about your show. They care about you, potentially. And so it feels wrong to walk away from that, to abandon, if you will, a community that, that you've built. Whether your community is five listeners or 50,000 listeners or 500,000 listeners. You do owe them, I think, something. But does that mean you need to do the show indefinitely forever, every week? Certainly not. What does it mean? I think it means that if you decide to end a show for some reason, that you should do as much as you can for your listeners to ease that transition. I often think back to when uh, I used to listen to a morning radio show. I used to listen to it religiously every morning, looked forward to listening to it. I would have it on while I was driving into work. I would listen to it for the first hour or so of my day at work. And if one of the members of that show, one of the cast and crew of that show left, she went and got a different job somewhere else, a different radio station to do her own show. And it was a big part of the show was gone. The whole, the show continued, but a big part of the show was gone. It would have been much worse if the show had just ended and now there's different people in there in the morning. What? That happened too sometimes where they'd take the show off the air, they would cancel it or the people would leave, whatever. All of a sudden the whole show is gone. People want to transition. They want to be transitioned away from the show that you're doing to know that it's going to come to an end. So if you have an idea that the show is going to be coming to an end, tell them. Say, listen, we have some news. After 500 episodes, We've decided that it's time to end the show for a number of reasons. You don't have to say what the reasons are. You can just say we've decided to end it. We appreciate that you've been along with us for the ride. We're going to do three more episodes or one or 10 or whatever it is. We're going to do some more and we'll tell you how many that is. We'll tell you when the last show is. We'll lead up to it. And when it's done, it's done. But people want that. What they don't like, and I think what about Alberto is referring to is, Sometimes shows just end abruptly or sometimes no new episodes come out for a show for one reason or another and the show hasn't ended. What he's saying is 
let let people know. It's not always possible to do that. But when it is possible, take those extra steps, tell people what's going on, and let them know, oh, we're going to be winding down the show and here's what happened. Now, I, I pointed hypercritical as a good example of, of that. When John Syracuse decided that he was uh, done, it was about a month or two in advance of when we actually finished the show and he announced it. And he said, we're going, and we talked about it on the show, said we're going to be ending the show. Episode 100 is going to be the last one. People thought it sucked, but they prepared for it. And then when it ended, it, it ended, it was over. No one was taken by surprise. And that's, that's what you owe your audience. You owe them that kind of notice if you can give it. You owe them that kind of transition if you can give it. You don't have to explain why. That's your business. But if you can tell them and warn them, I think that makes the, the ending and transition easier. So there you go. That's all we got. If you have questions for me, I'm on Twitter at Dan Benjamin. Use the hashtag podcast method when you ask those questions. But follow me over there on Twitter and ask Ask away and I will get to them. And the more questions I have, the more episodes I will do. And the more you visit my sponsors, the more episodes I will do. Because it tells them that you're interested and then they come to me and say, we want more of that show. And I say, okay, cool. Then I can afford to do it. So stay tuned for more information about Fireside, fireside.io. And the show notes for this episode are at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 19. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk again soon.